I got friends only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been reading all the work. And I've been shutting out the stars. Yeah, cause when it rain, then it pours. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Put That Coffee Down, the Freight Sales Podcast for Closers. And we have a special show for you today. I Kind of a new era of Put That Coffee Down. Dooner's last episode was last week. He's on his way to Boston right now on vacation. And he's going to take over a bit more of What the Truck, another episode each week. So that means I'm going to have special co-hosts with me. Every couple weeks, every three weeks, we'll, we'll, we'll have a nice stable of, of guest co-hosts. But to start us off, we have our special friend here, Blythe, uh, I'm sorry, Blythe Brum, Brumleaf from Digital Dispatch. How are you doing today, Blythe? I'm doing very well, thank you. And, and, and don't feel bad, my, my name is mispronounced uh, badly quite often. You know what? And that's something that I specialize in. And one thing I really get into my head when I do is pronounce people's names. And because I get, get inside my head, I, I'm always wrong or I always stumble on those. Uh, but well, I, I, I try I've, to... I've heard it every different way. So it, no worries. It, <laughs> you probably won't be able to pronounce it in a way that I have it or mispronounce it in a way that I haven't heard before. I, I have a special talent <laughs> on that, though, so I, I, I'll probably find a way to do that. Uh, but Blythe, it's, it's great having you here on the show today. And for those out there who don't know who you are, can you do your 30-second elevator pitch? Give us a bit of background on, on your experience in logistics and, and the, the businesses that you run. Sure. So, so 10 years ago, I got my chance in logistics as an executive assistant working directly with the CEO, the COO, and the CFO. And at the time, they knew that I had a side hustle blog, sports entertainment blog. So when they found out about that, I started handling the marketing for this $140 million 3PL. And so long story short, that I worked for that company in their marketing for about five years until they closed down. And then I got some opportunities in a local print magazine where I served as editor-in-chief and then also got some local sports broadcasting opportunities. And then three years ago, I went out on my own, started my own marketing agency, Brumley Brands, which evolved into Digital Dispatch, which has been in operation for a little over two years now. So here I am. Great. And you just launched a product, right? Freight School Playbook. Can you give our audience a little bit of an update on, on that and what you, what, what you provide out there? Sure. So Freight School Playbook is an online learning course for or courses for the logistics industry. So marketing and sales in particular, we have four courses on the site covering everything from how to start your content marketing plan to also the, the distribution of that content, how to audit your website, and then also how to start a video cast. That's the latest course that I just launched on the site. And I'm, I'm really excited about that because I feel like with COVID, it's sort of, you know, it, it, it's sort of it expanded the industry as far as video consumption is concerned and podcasting. There's so many different podcasts and providers out there that are or creators that are creating this great content. Um, so for other businesses and people that are looking to to join the trend in that regard, this course is for them. That is great. That is great. And again, thanks for, for joining us. You, we are going to, to finish off December. So the next three episodes, Bloth is going to be joining us as the co-host. And we have a, a special guest here in studio today. And that's our very own executive vice president of content here at Freight Waves, uh, Emily Zink. And we're going to talk about emotional intelligence and cells. And 
probe down into your background a little bit in, in news journalism, reporting, broadcast journalism, and working the crime beat, and really being able to convince people who've been through horrific trauma recently to, to get on camera and tell their stories and, and kind of how you read people, how you, how you lead them in uh, with emotional intelligence to do that. So that will be, um, that'll be coming up here in 1225. So, but we're talking about emotional intelligence. What does that mean to you, Blythe? Emotional intelligence, really from a marketing perspective, it's really the ethos of, of what we do. And, and you have to know it from a sales perspective as well, because you can't get the leads through the door without great marketing and you can't close those leads without great sales. So they really have to be sort of intertwined and, and you really have to understand that customer journey before you're ever able to sell to them. And, and the customer can be in that journey in a variety of different points and a variety of different moments in their life. So the short answer is that you kind of have to market and, and, and sell to all of those different steps, but at the same time, be empathetic. And, and I think that's what we're going to get into later on in the show. It is. It definitely is. But before we get to emotional intelligence, let's talk about good and bad marketing uh, and then also our hot sales tips. So you picked out the, the good and bad marketing segment today, Blythe. What do we have? All right. So first up on this list is you guys have touched on this just a tad in previous episodes where you talked about the LinkedIn debate of to tag people in your posts or to not tag. And there was a screenshot that was sent out the other day on Twitter that was LinkedIn actually encouraging a user to tag someone in the post. So at LinkedIn, you know, we may have our, our own personal feelings on whether we like it or not, and whether you, we think it's a little spammy or not, but LinkedIn is actually encouraging you in your post if they don't initially get enough traction for you to start tagging people in the post. So I don't know if that's a definitive answer on the, on the great tagging debate, but I thought it was interesting that LinkedIn is the one that's encouraging it. You know, I, I think, I, I guess now they're explicitly uh, encouraging it because basically the algorithms reward you for tagging people. And whether you, you like that or not, you know, that there's debate back and forth. I, I do tag uh, a few people, but they're usually listeners, uh, though they're not complete strangers. And I don't post that much, so I, I don't really think that I'm spamming too many people. And I do hear from people that I forget to tag and that mm. they ask me to just start tagging them again because oh, wow. I, I guess it, it heightens their their visibility as well. So I don't feel too bad about it. Um, you know, my LinkedIn notifications are a mess. I mean, a complete and utter <laughs> mess. And uh, I, I've just accepted that fact. I, I really wish I didn't get notified on everything. You know, people liking comments on posts from other people's posts that I'm tagged in from weeks ago. But uh, it goes with the territory, I suppose. Now, do you, when you post, are you uh, removing anybody from the list if they're not engaging with it? Maybe say you, you've tagged them in a few posts in a row and they haven't engaged with it. Are you removing them from your future tagging efforts? I am, yes. Yes, I, I recycle quite a bit. You know, I, I, you know, we get new people in the ecosystem all the time and those go in and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the people who really aren't active go out of the, the tagging. And, um, and, and sometimes I hear about that, you know, I, I hear, hear from people who say, why, why did you quit tagging me? And it's like, well, I didn't really see you interacting. So, <laughs> you know, I, I can only tag so many people in a post and, you know, it's, it's I, I, I don't want to say it's valuable real estate, but it's a little bit valuable, right? 
It definitely is valuable. And it's sort of, it, it, it's, it strokes your ego a bit when you do get tagged. But for me, the argument is always, is it relevant to me, you know, from a selfish internet user, which I think a lot of us are, if it's not relevant to me and you're just doing it to juice your numbers, then that's where I'm like, okay, I, I'm not going to engage with this just mm -hmm. because you're, I, I know what you're trying to do. And I think from a marketing perspective, it, it's actually more valuable to know whenever you're making a post, if you're not tagging anybody that's actually relevant in the post who is watching your post who is interacting with them and i think that that's a great way to test your messaging and what works and what may not work it does you know it's an iteration so you you, you experiment around with with tagging this group or, or that group but uh, i always tag people that i know that i've interacted mm -hmm. with that have interacted with me so it, it's not really complete strangers I, I know some people do do complete strangers and you know that's probably going to get you in a little bit of hot water and andy hedrick is watching right now from oklahoma oklahoma city so howdy andy he won the book yet last week so that's nice. great and i don't know if my linkedin is working we are live on linkedin in. I, that's the only comment I see right now. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, so I'll, I'll refresh here in a second. So I'll read off comments here in a bit. Uh, but what else? Do we have another topic for, for marketing today? We do. And, and I thought that this was an interesting debate because the, the hashtag marketing Twitter is sort of taking off and, and it's been a, a welcome reprise for me for, for coming from LinkedIn and having another network that I can sort of connect with other people. And, and on Twitter, it's, it's more of, I think, an honest discussion versus other social media platforms. And so I, I, I was wondering how you communicate. Does that change for the social network you're on? So are you one way on LinkedIn? Are you another way on Facebook? And then are you another way on Instagram or Twitter? For me, I'm absolutely, a, a, I'm the same person, but I, I speak it in a different way. Let's just say Twitter versus LinkedIn. I, I'm not sure if you're, if you're the, the same way. I, you know, I, I'm not great on Twitter. You know, I try to get on Twitter. I try to, uh, you know, interact and participate. It's just like this huge news feed that I can't really figure out. Uh, but I go back to Toby Howe that we had on the show from uh, the, the Morning Brew. And he is a big proponent of having a different voice. You're, you're, different, you're a different person, especially if you're a corporate brand. You interact and, and your message is a little bit different. You're still yourself, right? Uh, but you have a kind of the, the, the Twitter personality and then the LinkedIn personality. It's just like when you have different groups of friends, right? You're, you have a right. little bit of a different personality with, which, with, with each uh, just to, to, to really fit in and, and, and drive the group. So... Uh, you, you're not, you know, you're not Sybil, right? With, with eight different personalities that are all over the place uh, with, yeah, with, I, I with different like social media backgrounds, though. Especially with, with LinkedIn, it, it, there's that notion that you have to be so professional. And I think that that's where I'm the most polished, where I will think through of what I'm going to post, how I'm going to say it before I ever hit send. Now on Twitter, it's more of an emotional reaction. It, it, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, on Jaguar game days, it's usually a bunch <laughs> of emotion that's involved. Uh, but the, I think that that sort of speaks to the, the greater benefit of Twitter is that you can feel like you can get to know people on a different level that they're almost more honest because they can have the freedom to be a little bit more snarky and it's also the place where we go to uh, especially on twitter where we go and make fun of linkedin and there's you know there's a bunch mm -hmm. of accounts that you know 
crap on LinkedIn is one of my favorite accounts. And that's actually where I saw the first topic about the LinkedIn tagging debate that they make fun of people on LinkedIn. And I just, I, I, I love the snarky behavior of Twitter where it, it's a little elitist and it's a little uh, controversial mm-hmm. at times to say the least. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of value in there. And I feel like there, that's where you can, you can almost if you're struggling with what to post on LinkedIn, go to Twitter and see what's working well and what isn't. And it's mostly humor that's working on Twitter. It definitely is. Uh, you mentioned the Jaguars. Did they win Sunday? No, they did oh, not. Okay. I, I really I didn't know the answer to We weren't supposed to, to talk about that. I, I know. That, that, that'll be it. <laughs> that, that'll be the, the entire Jaguars conversation for, no, for this no, episode. that's a past life for me. <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> So okay, for, well, for those that know, you, you used to be on the radio, on a sports radio program where you broke down the, the, the Jaguars' uh, performances every, every week, right? Well, I was on uh, two different pro, two different shows. So Helmets and Heels, which was the first football show in the country uh, hosted by all women. So that was every Tuesday night. And we broke down the Jaguars preview the next week. And then I was also on what's called the kickoff show, which was on Jaguars game day. I had a very strict rule with the station that I said, I will not work during the game. And I don't want to work a few hours before because I love the culture of football so much. Mm -hmm. And I always went with my dad and my brother, and it was just very important to me to continue to still have that. I never wanted to be the type of broadcaster that sits in a press box. I just thought that, you know, the idea of not being able to cheer or, or or in my case, curse out your team whenever you want to was a big deterrent. So I wanted to keep my season tickets. I wanted to cheer for them. And for the overwhelming majority of it, it was miserable doing it. Um, But that one season, the 2000, 2017 season where we went to the AFC championship game and, and sort of shocked the world. Uh, that was, that's what made it all worth it to me. It, it does. <laughs> it does. So let's, let's move into emotional intelligence. And it's something that you need when you speak with Jaguars fans, you need a lot of emotional intelligence to, uh, <laughs> and to, empathy. To, and empathy. empathy yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I did post on LinkedIn uh, a day or two ago, looking for suggestions on, you know, how people use real world techniques on emotional intelligence in cells. And I got some great responses. Uh, the first one's here from Ben Kowalski uh, from Freight 360. I, I start by teaching emotional liter- oh, I start by teaching emotional literacy. Before you can be emotionally intelligent, you have to be emotionally literate. So that, is, that speaks kind of to, to self-awareness. Uh, Nicole Glenn uh, from Candor Expedite. That is going to be a great show. Emotional intelligence is understanding what the other person is going through, which should be the foundation of cells, identifying how you can help that person with the empathy of what their role is requiring of them and how to help them relieve an issue by genuine care and solutions. Uh, Then Charles Arosa from Arosa Transportation. Uh, Always be honest and professional. Customers may not like what they hear, but you will keep your integrity and their respect future business and referrals. And then Jeff Booth from OpenDoc, he was on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, He says, set the mood. Number two is reliability and understanding. Number three is help people. And, you know, if you do those things, that, that shows your emotional intelligence. How do you use emotional intelligence? What kind of techniques, you know, real world examples, Blythe? 
For me, it's, it's, and this is something that I, I have to get better about in my business because I, I'm a marketer. I come from the content creation standpoint. But with the recent launch of Freight School Playbook, I had certain sales goals and I didn't even know why I was setting an, an arbitrary number. I wasn't basing that off of anything. So for me, it was really a wake up call that I have to go back and I have to connect the dots from a marketing and a sales perspective. And so for me, that that was the first sort of just aha moment that yes, your content can resonate with people and people can be interested in it, but you also have to speak to them in a way that's eventually going to close the deal. And you don't do that unless you have a deep understanding of, of where a variety of your customers are at in their buying process. So I think you, you brought up actually a really great article that talked about five major skill sets in order to develop emotional intelligence. And, and I think we're, we're going to run through those here in just a second. But most of those, I was like, oh my gosh, I already do these for myself. Mm -hmm. Like keep a journal and, and, and slow down whenever you're, you're feeling a little frustrated. Uh, some of those things really spoke to me because that was something that I tend to do for myself and I need to get in the better, a better habit of flipping the script and doing that for my customers. Yeah, you definitely do. And I think it all goes down to, to why people buy. You have to figure out why each individual buys. And they buy a little bit on motion, a little bit on logic. It's, it's a weaved narrative. We talked about that last week on Put That Copy Down with Subtle Words That Sell. And a lot of that was about using emotional intelligence with what words you use, you know, like leading, suggest, suggesting, but really being able to, to, to read the other person like you're playing a hand of cards or uh, any other game where you're, you're playing against someone. You kind of have to read the situation and, and be emotionally in tune with them. And that, you know, a lot of self-awareness, a lot of humility, a lot of things that, that we're going to talk about right here. So there's five elements, and we'll dive into this. According to Daniel Goleman, an American psychologist who helped to popularize emotional intelligence, there are five key elements to it. And the first one is self-awareness. The second one is self-regulation. Third is motivation. Fourth is empathy. Five is social skills. And let's talk about each of these five in further detail. So self-awareness, what does that mean to you, Blythe? Self-awareness. Now, two of these main points that were in this article that you're referring to was keep a journal. And for me, keeping a journal is is my planner. I, I am religious about my planner. I spend a lot of time picking it out each year. And it's one of those items that I can look back on and I can see what I was doing on that day. I love that. And I, it, and I know that there is a booming market for people who do journaling, bullet journals, uh, quarterly journals, things like that. And so I think that when you are able to track where you want to go, then you're also able to track how you accomplished it. So keeping a journal to me is, is very important as far as the self-awareness portion of, of the five keys to success. And, and for me, that is definitely the journaling aspect. And then also slowing down. I think slowing down is, is something that a lot of us were forced to do during COVID. And I think it forced a lot of us to, to look back on in both personal and business of what's worked well and what has it and how can we change that for the future. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. I should journal more. I don't really. I, I write down bullet points uh, a little bit, but they're kind of haphazardly. They're, they're all over the apartment. They're all over my desk. Uh, but I do keep my mind focused on those goals and, and kind of how to accomplish those goals. Slowing down is, is something that, that I've always focused on. Uh, and the, the whole nature of reacting or responding, right? Reacting mm -hmm. is... 
is having someone else control how you feel. Responding mm-hmm. is 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 your response is where you're in control of your emotions, uh, your thought processes, where you don't overreact, where you keep the, keep yourself in check. And you can't really, uh, you don't control the, the problems you have or things that happen to you, but you can always choose and you can always t- dictate how you respond to those. And, and that's very important. And it takes a lot of emotional intelligence to, to be able to slow down that way and respond, right? And I think that that actually leads into, it, it sort of hints on the next one of these five that are listed in order to develop empathy and that's self-regulation and, and knowing when to hold yourself accountable, to know your value, but also to practice being calm. I don't know, when was the last time you, you sent an angry email? It's been a long time because I, I learned not to do that because it never turns out well. It never mm-hmm. turns out well. You can you can sit back, you can take a deep breath, you can walk around, you can walk across the street, you can go get a coffee. There's a lot of things you can do and sit down and really strategize and think about how you're going to respond because if you respond, you you don't have your emotions in check and bad things always happen for that. Yeah. And it's also difficult, I think, too, with email because you can't tell tone in email. So mm-hmm. if you say one thing one way, you might mean it in, in that way, but they could take it a completely different way. And you're you're still responsible for the way that that message is landing and, and the way that that message is received. So it, knowing when to, to, even if you are the one who gets the nasty email, not replying immediately will do wonders because sometimes it's, it's, it's more about the email that you don't send than the emails that you do send. You're exactly right about that. And 2020 has probably taught us all that because a lot of our messaging is over Slack or Teams or email, uh, not face-to-face. You can't really read body language whatsoever. And I'm constantly... uh, rewriting just quick Slack messages because I understand what tone, what what tone it might look like. And I'll reread it two or three times because uh, you, you get to the point where you're very slack or you're very direct and to the point on Slack because you're writing so many messages. You have your email, you have your Slack, you have text messages coming in and maybe phone calls and you get very hurried and you just want to get, you know, direct to the point. But how people respond to that or how they read that, that is your responsibility, as you just said, Blythe, and that goes to accountability as well. Being accountable for everything that is under your control or everything that's out of your control. You know, being responsible and taking uh, taking, taking the, the responsibility and the, the, the control of your responses to, to all of this, your accountability is, is very important. Absolutely. And, and I think what is with COVID has taught us is that people's, especially during certain times, you, you can't really know what mood or what setting they're in or what they're dealing with. So having that extra layer of, of empathy and compassion for, for whatever they may be going through that you have no idea, I think will go the extra mile is, is just to just calm down, go for a walk, go outside, go to the gym and and wait an hour before you send that email back or you send that Slack message back because that can be the difference of making someone's day a little bit easier and and making ultimately the the goal of whatever you're working towards make that pathway a little bit more clear. And you know it's going to make your day a lot easier because then you don't have to to go into the rabbit hole of no I didn't mean that I meant this and it just creates more problems if you if you 
don't respond in the correct way and don't think about what the, the reader behind that is going to, to do. And that, that goes with person-to-person conversations too. Uh, let's talk about motivation. It's next. It's, you know, it's all about self-motivation, right? If you're not self-motivated, uh, you know, your emotional intelligence isn't going to, to be there because you're just not going to care enough to, uh, to put in the extra kind of work it takes to, 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 to read other people and to, to, to really acquire what kind of moods and emotions that they're in. And especially from a motivation standpoint, I feel like that is almost one of the biggest struggles that people have had during 2020 is that you you start the new year with a bang. You have all of these goals that you want to achieve and then COVID hits and it's lockdown and everything seems to be changing. And that's really the only constant is change. But there's so much change happening that you can't really adjust appropriately in, in a way that you feel is impactful. And so a lot of it has, you know, sort of gone back to our first point where it's just, you need to slow down in order to get the motivation back. And, and for me, you know, it's, it's, it's post-election, it's coming up on new years, you know, it's that time of the year where everybody is budgeting. So it, it's kind of, you know, all full speed ahead until Christmas, but then that week after Christmas up until new years, I feel like that is where a lot of people find their motivation again. Cause like right now on, on my desk, I have stacks of notes that I've taken throughout the year and I can't wait to dive into those notes so I can review of everything that went well during 2020 and all the things that went wrong in 2020, but all of the lessons that you learn from everything that went wrong. I, I think that that's such a valuable time in, in order to just sit back and, and, and spend time with the family, of course, but then to also look back on both personal and business and see where you can find those additional little motivators that are going to keep you going. You're, you're exactly right. Our next one is social skills. We'll go through that really quickly, and then we'll bring in Emily to talk about empathy. We can start off with, with empathy with uh, Emily. Uh, but social skills, what, what do you take from that, Blythe? I, I, the big one for me was to learn conflict resolution. And I, it took me a little while to learn this coming from, you know, a, a sports broadcaster perspective where you, you're arguing about any kind of sports topic that you can and you're debating about it. But it's also taking that extra step in the business world of learning what hill you want to die on. Which battle do you firmly believe in that you are, are, are willing to go to the gauntlet for? And which battles are you not? And, and, and I think that specifically in, in the business business world of trying to maybe convince a client to to purchase something additional that they don't know that they need yet. So it, it takes that extra level of understanding of where they're at and trying to sell to them a problem that they might not realize that they have yet, but they're going to face it in the future. One one thing in particular w- with one of my clients is, is he was talking about, well, I need to get more leads to the website and I'm not seeing enough ebook downloads. And I said, well, that, that's the nature of the business that we're in. Marketing is always changing and you have to change your strategies. Once you get used to something and if it worked in the past, it might not work in the future and you have to learn how to let that go. And sometimes executives don't want to hear that. That they don't hear that, it, you know, it, it takes some some criticism sometimes or, or hearing things and, and accepting things that you don't want to hear. Uh, it, it's also about just, just knowing how to talk to each individual in each group. Uh, that's really all social skills are. And it's enjoying it's enjoying talking to people. It's, it's just enjoying being around people. Uh, once you have that, and, and a lot of that goes back to motivation, They're, these are all interlinked uh, quite, quite a bit, right? Uh, w- once you have that down, then, you know, social skills are, are pretty good. You know, some of us were born with social skills. Some of us weren't. And, 
And, and that's just the learning way it how is. To compliment others too. I, I think yes. that that was one of the big ones from the social skills is mm-hmm. learning how to praise other people because that ultimately brings, if you're meeting new people, if you're networking with them and you maybe have seen their work that they've done in the past, praising them helps develop a future relationship where now both parties are emotionally invested into how each other is going to perform. And so I think that that goes a long way too, helping to praise others. Yes, you're exactly right. Let's uh, get to our guest. I think she is ready over here. It's our own executive vice president of content here at Freight Waves, Emily Zink, at least for the next couple days. How are you doing today, Emily? Doing great. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Blythe. Hi. Hi. So uh, if you haven't heard, Emily is is leaving Freight Waves to to, to go back home and and has an awesome job lined up in, in public service. Uh, going kind of back to her roots a little bit in, in the crime world. And, uh, yeah, uh, do you want to, to say something about that, Emily? <laughs> you put me on the spot there, Kevin. Yeah, I, know, I guess right? I will. So the reason you have me on today is because in my past life, I was a former TV news anchor and reporter and my beat, uh, I did sports just like Blythe, but my other beat, which they do not go hand in hand, was crime and homicide. Um, so people are wondering where I'm going, what I'm doing, and I'm actually, I, I'm from Ohio, and I'm going back home to work for the Cincinnati Police Department. So it actually goes hand in hand with what I used to do. And um, I'm going to be a public information officer, a civilian public information officer for the police department. Um, obviously, we know there's a lot going on with police um, and a, a, a lot of things going on, as we've seen in 2020. And the big thing is they want someone to help with their messaging and someone to help with their communication. And for me, it's something that I've done in the past. But the biggest thing is it's, it's a way to go back home. So this is very bittersweet for me. I've loved my time here at Freight Waves. And Kevin, I know we've been talking about doing this episode for a very long time. So what better way to do it than your your first episode as your new your new show without Dooner and a lot of big things planned for Put That Coffee Down and it, it will be a good episode. It's been a great episode so far. So I, I've been listening to a lot of the topics, and it, it, it's one of those things you guys were talking about. You either know how to talk to people or you don't. Um, but it is a skill that you could learn, and it's something you could work on, which which is good. And, and Emily, no. this kind of, oh, sorry. I, this kind oh, of goes I, I was, go right ahead. I was just going to say, it comes from our conversations quite a bit about, you know, being a crime beat reporter and going out, uh, talking to families of murder victims, families of violent crime, witnesses, and convincing them to to, to speak on camera and knowing, you know, and it goes back to to last week we were talking uh, with Paul Ross, our guest, about the differences between manipulation and persuasion and the the fine line of those two. Can you expand on that? Yeah, there is a very fine line. And I was, when I was listening to last week's episode, I I was thinking to myself, um, it's a very tough job to go and it's called a door knock. You show up at someone's house on the worst day of their life, knock on the door and say, do you want to talk about your family member who just died. If someone was to show up on my porch, if a a family member, a loved one had just passed, I wouldn't want to talk. And I get that. It was was a really 
bad feeling to have when you have to when you get that call when you hear the police scanner and there's another homicide or there's a there's a car crash and uh, the tragedy of someone dying but you have to tell that story as a media as a news anchor or a reporter you you have to get that story out there because the public wants to know um, for me the biggest thing was empathy um, I knew a lot of people, coworkers, competitors um, at other stations who, they just wanted to get the story done. It was their assignment for the day. They hated covering homicides. They hated covering crime. Um, they just wanted to be done with it and over with it. And I honestly think the people they were interviewing got that vibe from them. When they showed up at their house, they said, do you want to be on camera? I'm sorry to hear that your loved one just died. That is heartless. That, that's not what you want to hear. And for me, my biggest thing is I truly cared. I, I would not want this to happen to me. I would not want to be in that situation. So when I showed up there, I had that mindset already that this is the worst day of this person's life. I'm the last person they want to see. I can't tell you how many times I got cussed out, how many times I got door slammed <laughs> in my face. Um, uh, one story in particular, this lady literally for 15 minutes told me how I was the scum of the earth showing up. Um, her husband had just died in a motorcycle crash, and I was the worst person in the world prying on this story. And I, 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 how dare I find her address and show up? And I just I stood there and let her yell at me because I knew that she wasn't mad at me. She was mad at the situation. And I said, you know what? I, I am so sorry. I will leave you alone now. Um, I gave her my business card. And one hour later, she called me back and apologized. She said, you know what? I, you did not deserve that. You, you are not who I'm mad at. I'm mad at the world right now. And she and I together worked to do a motorcycle safety story. Um, it was just someone recklessly driving, did not look twice um, and hit her husband while he was driving. And I was able to give her that platform and I was able to give her that emotional release. And so that's that's the biggest thing is you just need to go into the with the mindset, even when you're doing a sales call or a cold call, it's tough to do. You're, you're picking up the phone or you're going into an office and you don't know these people. But the biggest thing is mindset. You're going in there thinking, you know, this is this person's situation or, it also, your mindset yourself, I'm going to sell this product. I'm going to do this. For me, it's I'm going to tell this story, and here's what I need to do to tell that story. Now, from a, I, I would imagine that working in, in broadcasting and asking people tough questions like this, and especially from, from a police perspective, when they have to deal with tough situations, there's a lot of, I, I would imagine, PTSD involved. And, and not just for the victims, of course, but for, for the people who are reporting the stories like you and, and also police who have to show up and be those first responders. Are there any kind of resources or, or, or access to resources that, that you guys can utilize in order to, to, I guess, process the information, the awful information that you've just heard in order to maybe help someone in the future? That's a really good question. Um, a lot of times I think people think that being a news reporter is glamorous. You show up, you get your hair, you get your makeup done. Um, it's not that at all. And you just brought up a really good fact, PTSD. Um, for me, being on the crime and homicide beat, um, I luckily have never experienced the trauma of anything. But when you show up, um, you usually show up to the scene of a crime at the same time the police and the ambulance show up because you hear that 911 call over the police scanner. Um, 
they don't cover the bodies. Um, a lot of times you're showing up. I was an overnight reporter, so you're showing up in the middle of the night at gruesome scenes, car crashes, murders, um, people being hit while walking, pedestrians while it's late at night. And you see a lot of stuff that you never expect to see. And so I, I, that was a really good point you bring up. Um, I, I know a lot of people have left the industry because it's just, it's too much, the stories they've had to cover. Um, but I, I, I think for me, my biggest thing is I've always enjoyed telling stories and I always try to find the good in a story. I always try to find the good in people. And if it's a tragedy, how do I turn this tragedy, like the motor motorcycle um, example I just gave, turn it into something where you're letting the public know that you need to be careful while you're driving. You can't drive distracted. You need to know that there are people around you all the time, especially with motorcycles. It's hard to see if you don't look multiple times. So you always want to find the good at the end. So for me, that was my way of healing, knowing that I'm telling this story that might help someone else who's watching. Um, but you bring up a very good point. There aren't a lot of resources. And especially I know for first responders, there's a lot of stories um, for police officers and firefighters um, about them having, you don't want it to get to this point, but there's a lot of stories of public servants taking their own lives just because mm -hmm. that PTSD is just, it's, it takes over them, it consumes them. And so I think a lot of places have gotten a lot better with offering resources. But as you guys have mentioned on the show before, Kevin, you and Dooner with different things, Dooner just even talked about it on What the Truck the other day. People don't talk about mental illness or the stigma of talking about, I, I'm going through this right now, I've seen this, I need to talk about this. And I think the biggest thing is just talk about it. And I think people are a lot more accepting than we think they are. I think so too. I, I think uh, I think a lot of people have uh, a bit more empathy than, than than people think when it comes to PTSD. Uh, something you mentioned earlier is letting people vent, letting people talk, and acknowledging that, even if they're upset, and it might be might be important to you to to be able to slow down, listen, um, a little bit compartmentalize it, or or objectively look at it and and check your emotions. And uh, it seems like that is, is something that, that you've had to do quite a bit. And how does that translate into what you've you've accomplished around here at FreightWave selling ideas internally and externally as well? I think a lot of times it, it you you talked about slowing down. People are telling you what they want if you just listen. Um, so as a reporter, as an anchor, people were telling me why they didn't want me there or they were telling me why they were so upset. And I was able, because I'm empathetic, I was able to say, you know what, I, I should not be here. You're very upset. Here's my business card. If you want to talk, I'm here. Um, I think at Freight Waves, um, the big thing is, just listen. Um, within these walls and outside of these walls, everyone has great ideas and everyone's trying to tell you what they want. And I think the best thing is if you're a good listener, and I, that's, that's what I learned from being a journalist, you have to listen. If you're a good listener, you can execute on people's visions. And I think that's what works so well for me, especially with Craig Fuller. He had a vision for Freight Waves TV, and I was able to listen to that vision and say, okay, this is what he means. This is what he wants. And I think that's a big thing I've noticed in the sales world. Um, people are telling you what they want 
and they're coming to you as the expert to help them take all of those ideas and put it into whether it be a virtual event, put it into a marketing strategy. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing is just going back to if you listen, you'll understand what people are trying to get at and what their vision is they're trying to execute. And now you've touched on a lot of the, the, the different ways that you approach, you know, from, from one side of the coin, awful situations. But then on, on the other side of the coin, you have a situation where, you know, your executives and coworkers and, and fellow employees are looking for ways to to do what you do to, to empathize with people and to get their message out about their company or, or certain stories. Do you have a, a, a favorite executive or a favorite coworker that you've helped train up and, and who is your favorite? And I guess why? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Cause they're all <laughs> listening back there. Kevin's listening here. Um, you know, this is really tough. I, I, I don't, I think everyone as a whole, I would say all of the on-air people at Freight Waves, um, from Kevin to Anthony to Zach, Andrew Cox, Michael Vincent, Dooner, um, I'm probably missing a few. Um, it was great because all of these people, you never would have guessed that they have never been on TV before. Even Michael Vincent the other day said he was terrified of public speaking and you never would have imagined that. And so I, I loved being able to share my background with them to help them become more confident on air because we know how brilliant these people are we have within these four walls of freight waves. And I, I think by just giving them that confidence and showing them the skills of how to be on camera experts, it's turned them into these analysts that people turn on their TV every single day to watch freight waves TV to get their transportation and logistics news. Um, so I think for me, it's been great just seeing how they've all, I mean, it's one of those things, um, I walked in the door and they're probably like, what is, what is this TV news anchor doing here? She knows nothing about transportation. Um, but it was the exact opposite. I think they utilized me to hone their on-camera skills and I utilized all them to start figuring out this industry. And I, I, I think all of us gained something from each other. We, we definitely did. I was going to wait until the, the end of the interview to, to mention what, what, what we were just talking about. And because you walked in here with a, a rag, ragtag group of people who've never been on TV. <laughs> Most of us are in our 40s. We never thought we'd ever be on TV. And you were uh, you, and you still are a great coach and mentor to us uh, because Michael Vincent, myself, I was scared to public speak, um, you know, a year and a half ago or, or so before I started getting on camera. So uh, you, you've made a lot of progress in, in the coaching and those skills. I mean, they're, they're, they're brilliant. So uh, thank you for, for that, Emily, definitely. Um, I, let's talk about self-motivation because that's one of the keys of this. And, you know, how do you keep yourself self-motivated, especially in, in, as, as a crime reporter, right? Um, I, I know you love telling the story, you love doing that, but showing up day after day in horrific situations, how did you keep yourself self-motivated? It was hard. I'm not going to lie. It, it was really hard because I'll tell you, we would have these horrific stories come over the scanner and my boss would look around the newsroom and go, we're sending Emily. Emily's gonna go cover it, that they'll talk to her. And it, it really, in, in the beginning, when I didn't think about the whole picture, I'm like, you know what? I have 15 other coworkers in this room who are trained journalists who should be able to go out to the scene of a crime and get someone to talk to them. Um, I think 
then I, I started to think, not in a cocky way, because you don't, never want to be cocky in anything you do, business, confidence, TV, confidence. anything, but you want to be confident. So then I started to think, you know what? I am re I'm really good at getting people to talk to me, circling back, because I'm empathetic, because I care, and because I listen. Um, so it became a little easier because I, I had that mindset that, my station is counting on me to get this story. Um, I know if I go out there, we'll get this story today. I'm a very competitive person, um, and I, I hated to see the competition have a story that we didn't have. So if it meant that I had to go out and do the story, I was going to go out and do the story. Um, and so I, I kind of took that frustration of why is my boss like just continually, there's people all over the newsroom who should be doing their job, and then it, it turned into one of those things where, I'm good at getting people to talk because I care and because I truly care about my job. A lot of people, I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit of insight into TV. A lot of people get on TV to be on TV. And you, you probably could watch and turn on your TV and you know who those people are. But there are some people, and I've worked with some amazing people, who get on TV to tell stories, who get on TV to not be, be a part of the story, but to every day go out and find the story. And I think that really helped me because I got into journalism because I liked meeting people. I liked telling stories and I liked getting to know people. Um, so I, I think if you're in the right mindset and you're in it for the right reason, it's even easier to get people to talk to you because I, I think they could figure that out. And it's, it's the same, I think, if you're selling something. If you're genuine and you really truly believe in the product that you're selling, um, I think you're much more likely to close that deal than people who are out there just trying to make commission or people who are out there who really have no idea what they're selling. People could read right through that. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing is just being confident. There's a difference, like I said, there's a big difference between being confident and being cocky. And if you're confident, I, I think then you really do captivate whoever you're trying to talk to um, and you're able to have a much freer flowing conversation that way. Now, you, you talked earlier about self-motivation and, and the importance of storytelling, but the other side of that is also the organization that is involved, especially when planning events. You guys earlier this year were planning for a ton of in-person events and then had to flip the script like that in order to go virtual. What was the biggest learning lesson that you had from going to in-person events to virtual events? I think the biggest thing is is when you're in person, you're staying, um, you're finding your own way to stay engaged. So whether that be I go up and I talk to you at a booth because that's what I like to do, or we're over eating lunch together, or I'm sitting in the main room all day watching a keynote or watching a fireside chat because that's how I like to keep myself engaged. So I needed to think, how are we going to keep a viewer engaged? Where their TV is their only engagement. That's, that's all they're getting. I can't lure them over to my booth to sell something or I can't go up to them and have that face-to-face -face networking. How do I get them to want to watch this full day of content? And I think for us, it was figuring out that strategy of the biggest thing is moving at a fast pace. So we made sure to keep all of our fireside chats. Uh, when we would do it in person, we would sometimes do 30 minutes to an hour, even with our keynotes. And it's fine when you're in a room with people and you know everyone else is there and you're at this conference and you have nothing else going on, but we live in a world of distractions. So I had mm -hmm. to think, okay, people are probably sending an email while they're listening. And so the biggest thing is keeping everything moving so that you constantly have people's 
attention and you possibly you constantly have people engaged the other thing is um, mixing our freight waves tv shows with our normal content our fireside chats our keynotes because i think it was a way for people to then engage they love when kevin mentions their name on air or when dooner says so and so listening from phoenix arizona um, is watching right now people love to hear their names on air so it, it really was a way for people to have to actively stay engaged and actively listen so it wasn't easy um, but I, I think we figured it out it took a, it took enough virtual events for us in 2020 i think we have it down to a science now um, but the the biggest thing was high quality content that people want to watch in the pace of that content. Just, just keep it moving. We, we do have it down to a science now. We, we definitely do. Oh, it's been a wonderful job that, that you've done here. I, in 2020, and Bly said, you know, everything went from live events to virtual events. It also had everyone at home as well and experimenting in new mediums. And I, I think that we might have encouraged a lot of that, which is good. Uh, what advice do you have out there for anyone who wants to turn that phone around on themselves and start producing video content for LinkedIn, for Twitter, uh, for their website, anything and everything? Well, my team in the back knows this. Lighting is key. I, I, <laughs> we always want someone to be in the best light they could be. So um, I always say it's 20 to $30, invest in a ring light, invest in a panel light. Your lighting makes even the worst webcam look a little bit better. Even if you can't, if, if you are about to hop on a conference call or all of a sudden last minute they want you to talk at a virtual conference, you could use a window. Sit in front of the window. In the window, the natural light could light you. Make sure you're not blown out, but it, it could do wonders for you. So it's really just testing out your lighting. People notice things like that. Another thing is, um, I know webcams are so hard to find. Um, a lot of Logitech webcams, uh, which are the ones I always recommend, are still on back order. But um, your iPhone actually shoots in 4K. If you have a newer version of the iPhone, even your droids, um, they have really good cameras. So I would recommend your cell phone camera is probably better than the webcam that's built into your computer. Um, and another thing, Blythe, you have a great microphone. Audio is always key. If you have really bad or muffled audio or it's echoing, people aren't gonna listen. So your audio is really big. And another thing is, have headphones if you can. I know I know my video guys is always like, could you put your headphones in? There's a lot of echo. So there's some really easy things you could do. And I think a lot of people have gotten savvy this year. A lot of people have built up uh, their home TV studio, shall I say, but it's really not that big of an investment, especially if you use your cell phone. But it does make a world of a difference for content that people actually want to watch. Um, just make those little tweaks, and I think you'll be able to engage your audience a lot more that way. I could not agree with you more with using a cell phone as far as your, your video production and even recording a podcast. There's a simple you know, $20 microphone that you can get off Amazon and plug it right into your phone that, that helps a ton as far as uh, just at-home broadcasting. Uh, knowing all of this and moving from in-person events to virtual and everything else that's happened in 2020, what's one lesson that you're taking from 2020 into 2021? Uh, I would say content is king. Um, anyone out there watching, a lot of people think, you know, I don't need video, I don't need a good social media strategy, I don't need a good marketing strategy. It, if 2020 proved anything, it's that 
people are trying to win others over for their attention. People have a lot of time at home sitting there and now is the best time to grab people's attention, whether that be through a killer commercial or a great marketing strategy. Um, you guys talked about Twitter and LinkedIn before. There are a lot of companies who have great Twitters, who have great LinkedIn's and others not so much, and I think if you're truly going to make an investment as a company, it's going to be in your marketing department. I know, Blythe, you, you probably are nodding your head agreeing with me. that <laughs> I think a lot of people, especially in the transportation industry, are old school. Why, why do we need a marketing strategy? They'll, they'll know who we are. They'll see our trucks driving down the road. Um, but now is the time to really <laughs> grab that audience and tell a story and anyone could tell a story nowadays. You just have to hire the right people and it truly could elevate your brand that way. So Emily, last question for you. What is the number one sales lesson you learned here at Freight Waves that you're going to take to the Cincinnati Police Department? Um, oh, Kevin, putting, yeah. me, putting me on the spot. I, finally, <laughs> yes. for, for once. I know, I usually put you on the spot. You have me speechless. No, like I, I had mentioned this before, listen. People are usually telling you what they want if you listen. Um, I, I think a lot of us get in our heads about stuff and a lot of us um, sometimes overthink stuff, overprocess stuff, and we're a little scared to rock the boat sometimes. But if you truly just listen to the person that you're talking to, they're telling you exactly what they want. Um, they're telling you exactly what their opinion is, what their view is. And I think if you just sit there, and I know it's, it's hard for some of us sometimes to just be quiet, um, but if you just sit there and listen, I, I think it helps you truly figure out people and hear. Um, that was my biggest thing. I, 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 there are a lot of different personalities here. There's a lot of different people from all different industries within these four walls of freight waves. Um, but I think for me, I was able to become so close to my coworkers and so close to other executives because I was able to just listen and get a feel for who they are as people. I, I think that's how I was able to work so well with people across all different departments, just because I was able to build that bond, just because the, the fact that I was paying attention to who these people are and what they want. So I, I think I'll, I'll be able to take that with me um, wherever I go. It's just truly get to know the people that you're working with. Um, I, I'm not saying you have to become best friends with them, um, but truly, truly figure them out as people. And I, I, I think that helps uh, really understand a working relationship for me. Um, as a TV news anchor for so long, it's a, it's a competitive business. Uh, you're always competing for that spot. You're always worried, is so-and-so gonna take my spot? I had a lot of great friends in the TV industry, but at the same time, it's one of those places where you don't wanna get too close to people. You don't really wanna get too attached to people because they always leave too. They always go to their next market. I, I think for me here, I, I knew that a lot of people, this, this was their job, this was their home, this was their place. And I, I wanted to get to know them and I wanted to get to um, see what their vision was, what they wanted to do. And I, I think, uh, Kevin, you could vouch for this, working in a startup and working at Freight Waves, even in my year and a half here, how much it has changed. And, uh, you really just, uh, you, I always say you could be whatever you want to be at Freight Waves. So it's one of those things, if you truly just figure out your place and figure out the people you're working with, um, that, that could help at any job or help in any career. It, it definitely can. And, and two years here at Freight Waves is like two decades in, yeah. anywhere else. <laughs> it, it condenses the time down uh, quite a bit. Uh, 
thank you again so much, Emily, for, for coming on today and for what, uh, everything you've done at Freight Waves um, and everything you've done for this ragtag group of, of on-air personalities <laughs> that, that started with a GoPro, no studio, uh, and very little direction. We were just going up on camera and talking. You guys are great students, and I, I'm excited to see where the show goes. I'm excited that Blythe is on the show. I always say that we need more women, more uh, female voices, yes. and I think there's a lot of great people out there, and you have a lot of great connections, Blythe. I think it's only going to grow from here, and Kevin, I'm excited to see what you do with the show. Um, it's, it's a very important show. There's a, people, like I said in the beginning, you, you could learn these skills, and I think every Wednesday people sit there and they truly enjoy listening to you and Dooner, now you and Blythe, and really getting those little nuggets of knowledge, so I, I know you're just going to continue to uh, keep it up and have some awesome shows from here. Thank you, Emily. We are going to miss you around. Thank here. you, Emily. No problem. Great. Well, Blythe, uh, I have not been reading off these LinkedIn comments, right? So I will get better and better at this each week. Dooner was <laughs> a masterful person on here, and he's on on these comments as well propping up Twitter. He loves Twitter. Uh, he's on Twitter, I think, 24-7. And if he's not <laughs> watching the show right now, he's on Twitter. If, he, if he's driving down the road to Boston, he's probably on Twitter. That's kind of one of those things with Twitter is that you will look up and you'll realize that two hours just went by and you've accomplished nothing. <laughs> I think I know, that's just right? the nature of social media in general. But it, <laughs> definitely with Twitter, you can just get into these rabbit holes of discussions and, and, and comments. And, and, and speaking of comments, we have had a bunch of really good comments, especially mm -hmm. coming from, from John and from Rhonda. They're talking about how they're starting their video journey, how John is about to get started with his video journey over the holidays. So the holidays is awesome. a great time to get that experimenting done. Rhonda has just started with her video casts and, and, and starting that podcast journey. And I've seen her on you know whole, a, a couple different shows um, within the freight community that has really evolved and, and really just blossomed over the, the course of COVID. I think a lot of us were, were, were looking forward to in-person events where we can do that kind of networking. And then now we're, that networking has translated into a really great freight community up on LinkedIn. It has. It really has. 2020 has been really great for that. Eric Serta's on here on the comments. Uh, God bless those who can deal with those tragedies day in and day out. We're going to miss mm -hmm. you, Emily Zink. Uh, Andy Hedrick, congrats, Emily Zink. We will miss you on here, but with wish you all the best. Back the blue. And yeah, so it's, 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 it's a really nice, tight-knit community, and it will be great to see everybody live in person whenever we can get the live conferences back up and running across the industry. Absolutely. Those first, uh, that first networking happy hour at the first real big vert or in-person event that we're all going to attend. I think that that's going to be, uh, it's going to be like meeting your internet friends in real life. And there might be like a first, you know, few minutes of awkwardness, but then you just realize I've really spent a very long time investing in these people and getting to know them and their work. And I'm not sure that that would have happened without COVID. I don't think it would have either. I, I think virtual events has kind of leveled the playing field and, and gotten a lot of people in touch with, uh, with uh, you know, people from across the industry that they would never have the chance to, to, to speak to or discuss or 
or really interact with, and it's really equalized. It's made new entrants, new freight brokers, new carrier salespersons in the industry get in touch with a lot of people, a lot of great ideas. Uh, we have one minute left, and I need to give away a book, and it's going to be uh, Supply Chain for Dummies, a new edition. Uh, Mr. Hey. Supply Chain will be on the show next week with us, and we'll be talking about forecasting. Uh, but Blythe, can you pick a number between one and, what is this, one and 117? Oh, my gosh. Okay, uh, 93. 93. So we have 93 right here. Zach Calderon will win the book. I'll send that out to you. I'll <laughs> tag you in a post, and uh, we will do that. Uh, you can catch put that coffee down, you know, wherever you download your podcasts, Freightcast, put that coffee down, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you want to go. As I said, next week, Blythe, Blythe will be joining us with Mr. Supply Chain, Daniel Stanton, and we'll be talking about forecasting. Have a good one. I got friends, only want to talk business. I got expensive, because wind is expensive. I got expensive, because wind is expensive. I've been reading out of work. I've been shutting down the stars. Yeah, the winter rain and the forest. Yeah, and I'm ready for some more. Yeah.